What is up, guys? Welcome back to Hat Trick in 15, where we'll hit three topics from Slaughterhouse 5. Again, as your host today, you have the privilege to hear the wonderful voices of Langston Bedgood, Kenya Something II, and myself, Carlos Sanchez. Also, later on in today's podcast, you guys have and we have the privilege to have the one, the only, Mr. Valpony come in and drop some religious wisdom on all of us. Enjoy. Okay, so we have learned lots about Edgar Derby and Paul Lazaro throughout the past couple of chapters. Edgar Derby is a middle-aged high school teacher um, before the war, and Paul Lazaro is a thief from Chicago. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about these two characters and how, like, what they represent uh, in the war, what do they represent, like, society from America, and, you know, like, what Billy kinds of thinks of these characters. So, like, Edgar Derby, let's start with him. You know, he's a... Edgar Derby, I think he's, like, an, overall, he's a really nice guy, you know? He doesn't really do, like, what do you, What did you guys uh, see about him? Oh, um, I think he, he reminds me of somebody that, like, is just, like, fulfilling a duty. Like... Yeah, like, just doing his job. Like, yeah, like, he just got, I believe he was drafted, wasn't he? Uh no he he wanted to do I think he wanted right, to do like, yeah yeah like, he he's more of a person that's like doing a duty or like has like a sense of like patriotism like, not like maybe but like I think it's more like duty duty yeah, like, or, or like a sense of responsibility right? yeah like, yeah uh-huh. I, I agree with that owe, I owe to my country that I will fight for them right yeah because I I remember once in the book uh you know that that uh one of the Americans that turned like into a Nazi he started talking bad about American ideals and stuff. And I don't know if you guys caught this, but he's, he like, it said that he kind of went back at that guy and he, he argued with him about America and that he, he loves his country and that like people would die for America's ideals. Yeah. Right. He, he was one of the people willing to die for America. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think he represents like the, like that sector of the country or that group of people, the country that are like that, like they were willing to, like leave everything behind and go fight for the country. And there's still people like that today. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I kind of thought like out of like the war, like the war aspect, I, I thought he was like, he's a, I think he's a good U S citizen. Like, you know, he, he became a teacher. He's teaching kids. Uh, he, he's, he's patriot. He's, well, I, don't, I would say he's patriotic. I don't know if you guys would, but like, he loves his country. He's fighting for it. But also yeah. Yeah. like, I think, like out of that war aspect, you know the the promise that uh, uh, Vanagut made in the beginning that he wasn't gonna make like heroes out of it. I think he portrays like a good U.S. citizen, but he doesn't make a good soldier because it kind of says that he's like a nice guy, like he's too nice for war. Right. Yeah. So like, I feel like that. I think I feel like he made a really good U.S. citizen out of Edgar Derby, but he didn't really make a great soldier he was kind of not I, 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 would, I don't know if i would say wimpy but like he's his personality isn't just fit for you know like violence and stuff like that 
I, I can understand what you're saying, but I think the author is trying to say like, like at the same time, we don't need just like the you know the macho. Yeah, the macho man. Right. Yeah. Like, not every. You don't need like the hero and everybody. Like, like he is a hero in himself. You see what I'm saying? Like. Yeah, but he's not he's showing. Gonna, he's not showing like the 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 war hero type. He's showing right. a different type of. Right. Yeah. Yeah, some people are able to just play a role that it's not too important, but it's actually kind of crucial and like just with anything that anybody's trying to get accomplished. Right. Facts. But they don't necessarily they don't necessarily have to lead a group. Yep. Uh well now let's talk about Paul Zaro. This guy. Yep. So I I he's very different from our boy Edgar Derby, you know. Steve from Chicago, you know, Chirac. Uh, All right, let's chill out. <laughs> he was like, you know, he said, I think he's a psycho, dude. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> this dude is crazy. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Did you guys read that part about the him killing a dog because the dog bit him? Yeah, yeah. Uh, dogs naturally bite. <laughs> <laughs> If anybody that has ever gotten bit by a dog actually killed the dog, then I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah, but like he said, because even I think Billy kind of sees this, that he's a guy just out for revenge. You know, he's like a bloodthirsty dude. He, you know, he says like in the in the book, Billy, you know how he's a traveling time and all that stuff. He, Paul Lazaro kills him. Yeah. And it's like he has a grudge against just like any and everything. He does. So, yeah, I feel like he kind of like portrays like this type of just like person that's just out for violence. He's just a violent guy. You know, he doesn't really care who it is against. Like if anyone's in his way, he's just going to plow them over. Yeah, yeah, I can see what you're saying. But I also think like like he, Maya is trying to portray him as like the the part of America that's just like, Almost like bloodthirsty. Blood yeah. Like if you like, if you see like even today you can see like people that say bomb first or kill first, ask questions later. Yeah, yeah. Like, so like the type um, of America that's always just wants to get into right. it right away. Right. Yeah. There's right. always there's always gonna be a community like that. Right. Just ask questions later, get the job done. You know, they like all the gore and all the you know the dirty stuff. Yeah. Well, you can see that with. Uh, and with, even within like law enforcement, like how yeah. uh, I forgot his name, but the guy he was in his car and they killed him, no questions asked. Right, like he he wasn't doing anything, he wasn't even awake. Yeah. All right. Well, these two characters are very different. You know, they represent different aspects of war and you know just America in general, and you know they're very interesting to look at especially as they start to progress over the text. So we'll see what happens with them later on. Right. Right at the end of chapter four, one was traveling with Dorian in contact with Billy. says that free will is a human concept. And that it actually isn't real. Throughout the book, fate is a major theme since Billy travels through time and can't seem to change it. Today we have our theology teacher, Mr. Valpointe, to join us and give us an insight on this topic. Mr. Valpointe, right. 
being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, you two. <laughs> you three. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, as Kenya said, fate, free will. Uh, so, from kind of like the Catholic standpoint things, uh, how would you define fate and free will? You know, uh, the Christian tradition has kind of held those two things in a bit of a, kind of a firm tension for the past 2,000 years with varying degrees of leaning. Um, Catholic theology has this very hard dance, and Christian theology at large, has a hard dance to make. First and foremost, they believe in this uh, all-controlling God, um, and what becomes kind of the dominant thread is when we lean too much into that idea, it turns into what's called predestination. And then on the flip side of that, we have what's called libertarian free will, this idea that everything at the end of the day uh, boils down to the self-control of humans. And so Christianity wants to hold both of those pieces together in, uh, in a nice balance at the end of the day. So w- which one would you say was uh, maybe n- not discovered first, but like kind of studied more or kind of looked at before the, the other one? You know, I would that one gets even tough because there's been this long give and take as if people have often debated it. Um, I mean, and this kind of goes on even till today. Uh, right now, there's a very large movement uh, within the field of psychology, sociology, genetics, biology, neuroscience, and they don't call it fate anymore. They call it determinism. It's the idea of there's not some external metaphysical uh, factor in the universe that controls you, that wills you in a direction that, in fact, the the true destroyer of free will or eliminator of free will exists internally, whether that is your brain is pre-wired for every choice you'll ever make or your genetic code is pre-wired for you to be exactly as you are in every choice you'll ever make or society programs you for every choice you'll ever make. And so uh, increasingly we're leaning more towards scientific determinism um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of contradict or like, counteracting or fighting against um, a more theological free will okay so um about this like free will part sure uh so a lot of people uh think about uh you know if there was free will then why do people say like god made us for a reason or god has a plan for us like what uh what do you think that little phrase comes from yeah uh in truth, probably just in t- just lay people trying to grapple with their own theological questions in kind of a shallow way. Um, most people don't spend a whole lot of time kind of unpacking when they say unpacking things like that when they say it. Often people are happy to say things like, you know, everything happens for a reason. And then most people are like, yeah, it's a, it's a really good thing to believe and it's helpful and it gives us a sense of control. But if you kind of start to critique it and deconstruct it, you're like, eh, actually, that probably doesn't hold true. I really don't like the idea of an all-loving, merciful, forgiving God being like, yeah, my grandmother needed cancer to be the woman she's going to be. <laughs> yeah. That seems like a kind of mean God. Yeah. So uh, also uh, to do with this free will, many people think uh, also about, you know, we have like what you said with cancer, there's a lot of terrible stuff going on there's a lot of t- uh, terrible people crime and everything how does that fit into free will and how yeah. if god you know was great why would he allow people to do this type of stuff yeah i mean 
actually there's like kind of three different parts of that the first one's the one that's actually probably the least interesting but the one that most relevantly addresses what you asked it's this idea of you know like in, in christian theology it's that god is unchanging and so if god's going to set out to this idea of we're going to create free will that means whatever comes from it we just have to live with and that if god were to choose to change that that god chooses to change that means yeah. god is not constant and therefore is not god thank oh. you the, thank you greeks for providing really crappy <laughs> philosophy um the more interesting question though is and not to like say your question was not interesting but <laughs> right now there's this huge debate within philosophy of how do you hold anyone accountable if free will doesn't exist? Mm. Um, and so you get into this very deep argument with, okay, if you are a genetic determinist, if you're a social determinist, if you are a genetic determinist, um, you know, basically what you're saying is criminals never had a choice in the matter. And if they didn't have a choice, if they were just pre-wired to commit a crime in their life, is it fair to punish them? Yeah. Um, and there is a series of biologists and philosophers who say yeah you just have to punish them because they're that's who they are yeah so uh also like kind of just kind of bring it back to what we were learning about last semester about like you know the the capital vices and all that stuff and how yeah, sure. people are punished and like dante and that kind of stuff yeah. uh so like should we punish them that kind of like thinking about dante you know going through those different steps of purgatory they wouldn't really have a you're, you're trying to say like they wouldn't really have a choice that they got there in the first place if yeah. we believe in fate yeah that'd be theological predeterminism right yeah. you know we have this god who designed you to be exactly who you are and god designed you to go to hell or to purgatory and mm. that's also kind of a screwed up god yeah that, that that doesn't mean people don't believe in that god but i wouldn't like him or <laughs> yeah I so well, this is uh kind of more to kenya and langston like after hearing that what do you guys what do you guys think? Um, I do think that there's a very thin line between free will and fate. And I, my opinion changes on it a lot as I hear other people's opinions on it. So, Kenya, what do you think? I think, like, with, with free will, I think that you, like, as a person, like, in the spiritual sense, I think you as a person have the choice to sin and not to sin. So, like, that that's just not what I think. But I think with fate, I think that I don't know if I necessarily believe in fate, but I believe that if you do things that God wants you to do, that you'll end up, like, fitting into his plan and what yeah. he has. Did, I'm curious, did you guys have to read Freakonomics for this course? No. no. Okay. That's unfortunate. There's <laughs> uh, a really great book called Freakonomics. I believe Bapo used to make his kids have to read it. Um, and there's a chapter in it, uh, and it's about abortion. And its central argument is that frequently uh, the women who choose uh, to have abortion, the kids who they normally do have end up having like higher rates of criminal behavior. Oh. And that therefore maybe there is a social argument for abortion about crime. And that gets into this predeterminism argument. Uh, argument. But you know, we also should take a look and say, let's look at America where, you know, we have 2.1, 2.2 million people locked in prison. Yeah. America just naturally has more criminals than every other society on earth. Yep. Or is there some level of determinism that society has set people up in a certain way or determined certain things about them that puts them in a box? And how do we go about 
you know, saying, are they fated because society has chosen that construct for them? Mm. Or is that free will? Those people are exercising their free will, which then loses, you know, free will for others. Is free will for some and not for all? And is there a power dynamic with free will? And there's lots of really deep questions with this one. Yeah, there is. I tend to, just so you know, I tend to go against the arguments of fate, but... When you start looking at it and you're like, oh, yeah, like people fall into these traps that they actually can't escape from and they don't. Have, it's a choiceless choice. Yeah. The, and that, that's fate. I mean, that's determinism. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, like, I, well, I tend, I think I agree a lot with, because um, as you were saying earlier about, like, if there's a God that doesn't, is it really merciful or really, like, punishing people for something that they aren't really, like, uh, kind of in charge of. I feel like yeah. I wouldn't really agree with that standpoint anymore, and I would. I think that would like contradict my beliefs. Yeah. And like looking at it socially, like as you said, like people like this mass incarceration thing going on, and like so society making like fading people into like specific things also plays like a major role into what people do here on Earth, and yeah. not really like determined by God, really. So. Well. And the original language was for this debate was in the, it it was biblical terms. It was, how can you have a just and merciful God? Like, how do you get a God who punishes people, but forgives people that these things seem to be kind of intrinsically opposite. And so that's the original dance. And then you kind of move from that. And then you get into this question of fate versus free will or um, free will versus determinism. And so these, this has been a long-standing question that have kind of like plagued philosophers and theologians for a couple thousand years, yeah. but it's good to be engaging with it. Yeah, it is. It's always good. Even like there's a lot of dead ends and like a lot of questioning and thinking about things over and over again. So oh, I just wanted to say thank you, Mr. Valpone, for the interview. Thanks for helping us out. Giving yeah, us- no problem. So as we know, this book is primarily about the horrific bombing of Dresden, which is not very, many people do not know about the bombing of Dresden, just it's not in history books, it's, I mean, unless you really go search for it, you're not going to find it. Me, personally, I, I wouldn't say I studied World War II, but I'd say I know enough about it to where I was very shocked. Like of course war crimes happened, but no happened, but of course I did not know about Dresden. So this is all new to me, but bombings of marginalized groups are not new to history at all. Uh, no, but would you consider Dresden a marginalized group though? Like the, the people of Dresden? I would because I think I would. The wounded I mean, they're already hurt. Who else was there? Citizens. It, it was they citizens didn't that didn't have to. Do, yeah, they didn't have to do anything. It was a war-torn country, a war-torn area of Europe. But um, but no, the Dresden was out of the way though. Like it wasn't. Yeah, like they went intentionally in there. Right, they, right. And then it also, wasn't even near anything. Also, we've learned that you know Dresden is a city like full of like beautiful architecture and art. Right. Like the city itself wasn't war-torn, but I mean they are surrounded by war. 
Yeah. They haven't yeah. they haven't been affected, but yeah. I mean I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have to go far to feel the effects of World War Two. Oh, yeah, no, but like, they were they were untouched, but they they knew what was going on around them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but, they also had like like y'all said, the wounded. The wounded coming in and stuff. Yeah, like but like Dresden as we like Dresden had nothing to do with the war. There was like no military camps there. Like we bombed Dresden on purpose for no reason, you know. It was just we felt like it. Yeah. Um so that leads into something else. Um bombings have been a big part of American history yeah. even recently. Um, especially in the Middle East. So how do you guys feel about that? I feel like I feel like it's almost counterproductive in, in a way because like when you bomb something, everything in that radius, the bomb radius is gone. And so that, keep in mind, a bombing even now um, with the drone strikes, it's literally at a push of a button. Right. That can wipe out just how, however many people they want to. I mean, it's yeah. different discretion. Right. So a press of a button can end lives. Well, for me, it's two things. Two, like the, the technology now is like so advanced where you could you can literally destroy the room in a building and keep the building intact. But yeah, it's so advanced. Right, like the building is intact, but the room you target is still still destroyed. Demolished. Right. And like but at the same time, you're seeing in like like in ISIS areas and stuff where they bomb and they not only kill their target, but they kill entire families. And we yeah. like Yeah, and we like about what Kenya said, like we gotta remember like you kill innocent people, and that just that breeds more people that hate America and that are willing to join groups like ISIS just because we bombed, right? You know, people that we and, weren't supposed to. And, and ISIS, of course, is gonna step in and like feel that hatred for like America, saying like things like, "Oh, America is the reason why you're an orphan," or yeah, like it's kind of a vengeance thing, right? Like, yeah, and I don't know if I can blame them for that either because it's like. You know, I obviously don't agree with them, but it's like we're doing things like so bad that are going to just make it, people hate us. Upon ourselves. Yes, right. we do. It's not anything that they've personally done to us. It's honestly we create the problem and then we still find a way to deal with it after they try to do something about it. Right. Yeah. But then like we also got to look at I think we also got to look at it like America's perspective because so ISIS, you know, these people in the Middle East obviously hate it, but like there's some people in America that absolutely that are for this idea, this idea of just bombing right. countries. And I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because that's just, I don't know. But, like, at the same time, like, okay, those people, like, like the people, going back to, like, the bloodthirsty type community. Yeah. Like, those type of people, like, the, and, like, the effects, bombings, and, like, just violence in general can have. Not only on themselves, but like on the communities that that are affected. You, you see what I'm saying? Like, once, for instance, say, so like a bombing happens in the Middle East, yeah. and the parents of a family of three are killed, right? Yeah, and they're all young children. That is a generation gone. Yeah, you see, see what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just and, killing stuff. And once like that happens, like that affects generations after it. So like, it, it's not just like 
one incident. It's like many incidents that follow it. And yeah, you know, we're just like going back to that. We're just dooming ourselves. We're dooming other cultures and right areas, and it's just. Yeah, and also with bloodthirsty um, Americans, there's bloodthirsty everybody, everybody, like not just Americans, but that's what we're talking about. So um, I feel like I say this a lot just in general, like it's hard to put put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Right. Um, You can listen to the war stories, the news stories. You can read articles. You can do whatever to find out about a topic but you will never truly feel the impact unless like it's like an immediate impact like it's your family or something but other than that you won't feel the impact of certain things and war is definitely one of them yeah but i feel like like going back to what you said about we're not going to feel it i feel like we're especially not going to feel it when we don't make like a big deal out of this like we like kind of it's not really off topic, but like Hiroshima, we nuked the whole city. And how many times do you go over that in history? Like we talk about like the birth of a nuclear bomb, but like, do we ever really look into it? Like, I don't know about you guys, but in my history classes, I've learned, oh yeah, that we had a bomb, we bombed the city, but I, we never really learned about what happened to the people there, what happened to the culture, what happened to the surrounding. We just learned it got destroyed. So I feel like, like we have to, educate more people about bombings because otherwise we're never really going to feel what other people feel. But also you can look at it like, like you're going back to what you said, like we don't make a big deal. Like we're the first generation to be, our whole lives we've been at war. Yep. Ever since we were born, we've been in the Middle East. And we don't even know what's going on over there. Right. Yeah, right. We don't. right. It's not publicized. It's, not like... it's like, oh, another bombing in the Middle East kills a family of five. And, and plenty of plenty of bombings aren't even reported. Right. Um, there's a good documentary on Netflix. It's called I believe it's called The White Helmets. It is about the people that go in Syria, to the city right. of Aleppo. Yeah, Syria. Syria. Mm-hmm. Um, and these aren't just US drone strikes. Part of it is from Russia, Russia too, very right. sadly. But um, the point is that the city is completely just turned to rubble. I mean, if you look at the pictures of before um, everything happened it was and a modern city. even current day. Huh? It, it was a modern city. It, yeah. was, it wasn't like what you think of the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, we. I feel like that question of how we should, like, try to stop bombings or because I, I feel like there's always going to be violence some way or another because people, are, you know, it just happens. But, like, yeah. bombings have to be stopped and especially... I don't think it's going to be stopped if we don't look into it. And like, like Kenya said, you know, we're the first generation and we don't even know what's going on. And I feel like being educated on what is going on, especially in the Middle East and all this bombing would really help people like be aware of it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yep. So, all right. That was bombing. You know, people got to be more educated. We know we should look into it more. That's it. All right, guys, we've come to the end of this week's episode. If you like what you heard, make sure to follow the podcast to stay updated on what's coming up the following weeks with Slaughterhouse 5. Just a final thanks again to Mr. Valpone for having come in and being such a wonderful guest and having such great conversation with us. Thanks. This was Hat Trick in 15, and we'll see you next time.